1: Hello, and welcome to Breaking, a baseball news podcast here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. This is T.C. Zanka here with you today. Tim Jackson, the incomparable Tim Jackson, cannot be with us today. He is out traversing the northern coast of the eastern United States. He's up in Maine, Vermont, or who knows where, not watching baseball, as we heard last week from Tim. So we missed Tim here at Breaking, but we will we will just forge ahead and do our best. And hopefully we'll have Tim back with us very, very soon. Uh, As of today, we are neck deep in the All-Star break, with the All-Star game set to kick off in about 30 minutes. As of this recording, we'll be posting this uh, probably Thursday morning. So by the time you're hearing it, there will no doubt be all sorts of exciting things that we missed out on the chance to talk about from the All-Star game. But that is okay, because personally, I don't really care for the all-star break all that much but it does mark an important time of the season it is the beginning of trade season which is a very exciting time and is something that i rather enjoy but not necessarily for the trades themselves although those are fun and speculating about the trades is certainly a lot of fun and maybe even most of why i and many baseball nerds love following the game but it's not the only reason why the trade season is exciting. It's exciting because it's the time of the year when every team must actually pick a side. It's time to be a contender or an also rant. Teams must announce themselves to the baseball sphere, to the, to the baseball world, what their intentions are. And usually they do so by trading for players or trading away players and, or sometimes standing pat, you know, any number of ways. But we usually know by the end of this time, by the end of July, who we expect to contend and who we expect to fall away. Basically, basically for the rest of the MLB season, teams fall into one of two categories. Here are the contenders, AKA, there are those teams with a reasonable expectation and aspiration of making the 2021 MLB playoffs and therefore making a run. And then there are the teams that will be working on other things for the rest of the year, development uh, of young players, trying out young players, trying out different players, changing cultures, instituting new philosophies and organizational strengths, etc. Uh, working with their coaching staffs to figure out how things are going to move forward for them, how they're going to develop their teams and their organizations on the whole for the next couple of seasons. So, um, you know, just real quickly here, just let me run through the standings and break these down into categories. Now, the cool thing about baseball, or one of the interesting things about baseball, is that the playoffs are such a crapshoot that really anyone who has a chance for the playoffs is a true contender. There is there is really no such thing as a also, ranked contender. I mean, in in basketball, of course, you know the eight seeds very rarely have a shot. This year being a little bit different, of course, with the with the Hawks making as far as they have, and and neither top seed being in the finals. But uh usually, I mean, this was a bizarre season because of injuries and because of coming back from COVID and the shorter shorter layoff and all those those sorts of things. And you know, they still ended up with a two seed in the Suns, albeit one that we don't really expect to be a two seed. But, you know, Chris Paul is still one of the best players in the world. And uh, Giannis is one of the best players in the world on the other side. So there's it's not a gigantic shock either way, even if it's a little bit uh, maybe unexpected or a, a, it could just be a change in the guard. It'll be a year or two before we really know. In baseball, anybody can win. Wild card teams win all the time. So if you make the playoffs, you've got a shot. You are a real contender. And that's why we don't really need to separate these teams into contenders and pretenders and, and whatever else. If you have a shot at the playoffs, you have a shot at winning the World Series. So real quick, let's run through this and break down the 30 teams into two buckets, contenders and then the other guys who are working on other, other stuff. In the East, in the American League, Boston, they're clearly in it. The Rays are definitely going to be going for this. Toronto is eight games back. The Yankees are eight games back. But neither one seems like they're going to be falling away. I mean, Toronto, definitely for this day, they could be better. They have a plus-72 run differential. They are have been full bore for contention all year back to the offseason. So they are definitely going for it. They could use some pitching. Uh, but they're going to continue to try to push their way into playoff contention here. And the Yankees, they're the Yankees. The Yankees never give up. They, they are always they're always pushing for it. So, and they certainly have enough talent to make a run here. Three games over 500. They would just have a plus one run differential. They also could use some pitching, but I'm not a big Yankee believer, but we'll see what happens. I, certainly. I don't think they're going to be really blowing it up. Even if they were to move someone like Earl, this Chapman, which would be possible, even if, if it's very unlikely that doesn't would not signal them as, as guys who, as a team ready to sit it out, they're going to be going for it full bore. So the Orioles are our first team that fall into the other category. They are not going forward this year. So take that for what you will. That's just the way, the way things have been, and the way things are, the Orioles will be looking towards next season. Um, and that central, the Royals, unfortunately will be looking towards next season. So will the twins surprisingly. I mean, this was the, the big su- surprise of the season really that the twins have fallen so far away. They're 11 games under 500. They're 15 games back. And that's after a four game winning streak, I just don't think they have the juice to make it. I don't think they have the the starting pitching to go on a real consistent run. I'm counting them out. Uh, we'll see what they do in terms of selling, selling off, but I don't think that they are going to be in this race. Neither will Detroit. Detroit has been playing a lot better. We talked about it last week uh, here on breaking. Tim and I both felt really good about the Tigers moving forward, but uh, you know, they are not going to be contenders. This season, let's look for them next season. Cleveland still has a chance to hang around. They're eight games behind the White Sox. One, they won three in a row, but they lost seven before that. They've got a couple of big guys who are out right now. They need Bieber to come back and to be a, a dude for them. They still don't have, don't have any outfielders. I'm not a big believer in Cleveland, but I don't know that they're going to be tearing it down either. Right now, they're one of our one of the teams that are most firmly on the fence, somewhere in between. Uh But right now, I don't think we can count them out as sellers. The White Sox, of course, to round out that division, they are going for it. They are one of the truest of true contenders in the league right now. In the American League West, we have the Astros, who are on top and are going to continue to be on top. For the time being, they have a plus 136 run differential. They are not going anywhere. They they are definitely going to be in contention this year. The A's are going to be going for it as well. They're 12 games over, 500. As much as they have, you know, seem like they don't maybe have the roster to contend this year, they as ever they are doing what needs to be done and they have some clear avenues for improvement. If they choose to do so, they could really use the DH. They could really use another shortstop. And there are guys to go get if they want to make those improvements and really make a run for it. Regardless, uh, they're going to do enough. They're going to qualify in that, in this contender category On the bottom side, the Rangers are not anywhere close. They are 20 games under 500. They now have Jack Leiter as the most exciting player in their system. But as for now, they're going to be selling, if anything. These other two were were kind of in some real middle ground here. The Angels have a roster that's built to contend. They're just one game over 500 right now. They don't seem to be like legitimate contenders, but I think they do qualify as a team that's going to be going for it. I don't see them selling out very many pieces. They do have... They can look forward to a time when Trout comes back or when Dome comes back. So, you know, with with Shohei having the season that he's having, they have to kind of go for it. And who knows, maybe they can make a run at one of these wildcard spots. The Mariners have been much better than most people expected. Uh, they're five games over 500 with a negative 50 run differential. They're only seven games back, so they could definitely make a run for it. I think the Mariners are one of these teams on the, uh, on the fence here depending on how the next couple of weeks go, they could go either way. They're probably going to be looking to next season more so than this year to contend. But as I said, they're right there, just five games, they're five games over 500. So they could definitely make a run for it, especially as you know, the Indians have fallen away. And, you know, as of right now, they are, would be right there. They're, they're, you know, behind Oakland three and a half games for, for that second wildcard spot. So they're definitely within firing range if they want to make make a go for it here. So to recap in the American league, that gives us the red Sox, the rays, the blue Jays, the Yankees, the white Sox, the Astros and Oakland as surefire contenders at seven teams going for five playoff spots. That leaves the Mariners, the angels and the Indians, As our team's on the fence, that's another three. So that's 10 teams who really could make a run for it that might inform what a team like Seattle does or a team like Cleveland does this year. For sure, the Rangers, the Royals, the Twins, the Tigers, the Orioles, those five are going to be waiting until next year. Um, So we'll wait until next week when Tim is back to go over the National League and see what our contenders look like there. Um, Because I know Tim will have something to say about those Those clubs. So, I want to give him a chance to disparage the Phillies somewhat. So, uh, stick with us for now. Uh, Coming up, we have a special guest coming on to talk about uh, one of those maybe National League contenders. Max Scherzer will be starting the All Star game for the fourth time in his career tonight as we are recording this. Uh, But this week's big idea isn't about Max. It's about who the Nationals might rely on to pitch after him. Steven Strasburg is still out of action for who knows how long. Patrick Corbin is still figuring himself out. So the Nats desperately need a number two starter. Max Greenfield thinks that Joe Ross might be the guy, longtime National Joe Ross. Uh, Max recently wrote a piece in the Going Deep section of Pitcher List called Finding the Seam, The Rise of Joe Ross, it was a very good piece, a very astute breakdown of Joe Ross's work so far this year. And Max was kind enough to join me today. Uh, Max, can you give us just a little bit of a rundown of the piece? What made you write it? You know, what did, what's it about? Where'd you go with it?
2: Yeah, sure. First, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, happy to be here, uh, celebrating the All Star Game, the halfway point of the year. Yeah. Um, then, yeah. So with Joe Ross, I mean, so basically, what caught my eye was I watched his start against the Dodgers. And I mean, he was just brilliant in that start for the first six innings. I mean, one run, nine strikeouts or eight strikeouts. And he was no walks to, and he was just pitching really, really well. And I saw his game plan pretty much in that entire start against the Dodgers was work sinkers over the plate, fastballs up, and then sliders either down and into lefties, down and away to lefties, or down and away to righties. He had like a really set game plan. And so he executed it beautifully too like he was really really executing that day then in the 7th inning you know some his slider started moving just a little bit less and like he couldn't couldn't get that swing and miss on it that he had, that he had been getting for a, a good amount of that day and he he looked a little tired and you know the nationals know, probably ran him out there for a little too long. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, given their bullpen situation and the amount of injuries they've gone through makes sense. Like, it wasn't a bad decision. It's just one of those ones where you're like, can I get one more? And he tried, and it just didn't happen. Um, but then after that, I, I was looking into his starts, and I was looking into what he'd been doing. And for, like, the last month or so, and the article at the end talks about this, Joe Ross has been really good for about a month. And, I mean, we're talking, like, sub-3 ERA, Three peripherals, pretty good ground ball rate, pretty good swing strike, uh, swinging strike rate. The slider has been good. The fastball, his four seam fastball, he's been able to keep it up in the zone. And so that my article is basically just the first half of it is talking about that game plan against the Dodgers and how when he's executing it well, he's really good because he's able to keep that sinker as a sort of all right, if I need to get back in the count or if I need to get it out now. I'm going to throw this sinker and it moves just enough now, especially without all the you know spider attack and everything. His sinker is going to start to move in more above average ways instead of the average ways it does, you know, with all this stuff. Cause he, right. his spin rates have not changed at all. So he clearly didn't use anything. Um, if anything, I think they actually went up in a few starts. So clearly he's just, you know, not using anything just, which makes sense. Guys who throw a lot of sinkers tend to not want more spin on the ball. Um, So he he's out there. His stuff might start to move, you know, more to the eye because now all the stuff, all of a sudden stuff is moving less and everything. So his stuff might be better. Um, And he started to do that and just throw that sinker in the zone, try and get contact, throw slider low and away to righties. throw it low and into the lefties. And that's what he's been doing for the past month. And I sort of realized like, you know, that's actually a really good game plan for a guy like him. If anything, you know, he could throw the sinker down in the zone more, try and get more ground balls. Um, But, you know, if he's executing his game plan well, he doesn't really need to do that. Like his forcing fastball is good enough to throw up in the zone and get enough swings and misses on it. Uh, When he throw, when it gets too low in the zone, the pitch does get crushed because it doesn't you know, move all that well in any discernible way from his sinker. So it's just like a flatter sinker. So then it just gets hammered, which, you know, that's obviously a risk. (laughs) But his, if you look at his heat map and it's in the article, I mean, it's so clear that he's just like, I'm going to throw this up and out of the zone as much as possible. And that's a smart game plan. Like he, he's, his slider is good enough and tunnels well with his sinker and his slider and his fastball, I should say, that if he throws that four seam up, it makes the slider look, even better because all of a sudden now it's just diving down and you're like, Oh, that's not the fastball or Oh, that's not the sinker. And so he does a really good job of tunneling his pitches. And that talks about it too. But yeah, I mean, this is the key for him going forward is just it, assuming he's okay. You know, I assume he's going to be coming off the IL relatively right. quickly after the break. They seemed Davey Martinez seemed pretty confident that it was just like, get him some more rests into the all-star break. Um, then he should be fine. Uh, elbow inflammation obviously always kind of like screams, like, uh oh. Um, but you know, they were the Nats seemed relatively confident that he will be okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope he is because they, they des if they want to make a playoff push. And you know, historically, they are not sellers, they don't sell at the deadline. That's not their that right. thing. So, Joe Ross is gonna have to be, I mean, that guy for them to be able to go, all right, well, we got Scherzer, you know, who assuming he's not giving up grand slams to relieve pitchers, uh, is good for. you know one of one out of every five games is going to be be really good and he has been I mean this is arguably one of the best years of his career Um, then after that as you said Strasburg is hurt who knows when he's coming back you know everything's super up in the air with him Patrick Corbin has been relatively I mean what's the word I'm looking for bad uh, throughout most of the year so he's been better of late though Um, so maybe he's starting to figure it out but even then like if, if Corbin's starting to figure it out, then it's like okay, I have two guys. So you still need that third guy, and Ross needs to do that, and he's going to be a huge key for them. That's what the article is about: is his game plan, what he's been doing for the past month, and how it can translate.
1: Yeah, I think that he is a key guy for the Nationals, and I think people outside of Washington, even people, you know, fans inside of Washington, aren't don't tend to be Joe Ross believers because he's just been around forever and he hasn't really been, you know, he came up so long ago. Now it feels, it feels like that. I think people assume that he must be washed or he must be, uh, you know, some of that kind of flamed out if he hasn't made it yet or if he hasn't become a more substantial piece of the team by now, but he's still only 28 years old and he's still really, this is the first time we've seen him really back and in the rotation consistently since being hurt. And I, I, I've, I've been a Joe Ross believer for a long time, in part because I know, I sense that the Nationals are Joe Ross believers. They keep sticking with him. And, you know, they tried him for a bit in 2019 out of the bullpen, and that was a disaster. And then he came he came in, he stepped in for Max. When Max got hurt, he missed that five-week stretch in the second half of 2019, and and Ross was nails. And I think that, to your point, I think the sinker is is the key for him. And when he came up, he was a sinker guy. That's what he threw. And then when he came back from injury, he was throwing a forcing fastball more than he ever had before. And it's not something he'd thrown before. And it, it did not seem to work at all. And I don't know if that was because of the, there was something compensating for the injury or because four seamers were kind of the, the, the pitch of the day at the time. And singers were kind of on their way out, whatever it was, it really did not work for him. And when he came back into the rotation for, for Scherzer in 2019, he was throwing the sinker more and he was kind of going back to it. And if you look at his his pitch mix, there is that like weird time period where he just, he kind of inverted the usage of his, of his sinker and his four seamer and it just, it did not work. And so now, yeah, I see him throwing it again. I feel like this is, this looks good. And though his numbers on the whole for the year aren't tremendous, he He had a really
2: rough stretch in like May, uh, April, late April, May he had, he had a pretty rough stretch, but June was, really good, like a really good June. Um, His first start of July was also really good too. Um, So he's, I mean, it's sort of, you have to pace it by month. Okay. April was looking pretty good. May was not that good, Uh, but June was really good again. And so you're sort of like, okay, he's had two good months, one bad month, the sinkers. He's clearly gone back to that. Yeah. He came, you know, as you said, he came up in 2019. I always go back to the 2019 world series where he made that spot start. Didn't know he was going to pitch until, Morning yeah. of uh, Game Four, and he was actually pretty good in that game. Like I know the the, the, bo- the box score doesn't necessarily reflect it, but for a guy who didn't know he was going to pitch until like a couple of hours before the start, that was a pretty pretty darn good start in the World yeah. Series for Joe Ross. And so like that was sort of the moment that made me like think. I was like, there's st- obviously they still believe in him. Like as you said. Um, and there must be something there like there's got to be something that can be tapped into i mean you don't give up on a guy who's drafted in the first round and can throw as hard as he does and you know has relatively the the strong command as he's shown recently that he does yeah. he has pretty good command um and that's the key is if he can throw his sinker in the strike zone consistently then joe ross is going to be pretty good because his fastball he's got one one idea with it and it's when I get to two strikes I'm gonna throw I'm gonna show them the high heater they're either gonna swing at it or they don't but I'm not gonna make it like a setup pitch or anything and that's good because it's his his fastball is not relatively good enough to be a setup pitch it just doesn't move it's just kind of it's too flat it doesn't do anything it doesn't rise and it doesn't drop so and it doesn't you know cut or run or anything. So it just doesn't do anything enough to be like a good setup pitch. So he's got the right idea to throw the sinker in the zone for strikes. And, you know, listen, you obviously run the risk of getting hit hard, the more strikes you throw. But, you know, if you throw it low enough or in on the edges enough, then you can sort of survive. And that's what he's doing right now. And that's what he's done for the past month or so. Uh, and that's why he's had such great success. And I think this is the the picture that the Nationals always had in mind of like, this is the guy who can be like our starting pitcher, you know, for when all things are going well. Right. But right. they're not. You know, uh, but he can always step up for us as the starting pitcher two or starting pitcher three. And I think Ross is showing that potential for the past month or so. I mean, again, as I, as I said in the article, by most statistics, Joe Ross was at, you know, in the top 10 in, you know, some pretty. Hefty statistics for the month of June, so that's that's definitely you know noticeable. That's worthy of you know, worthy of praise, worthy of look. Um, and you know the Nationals, they so as I said, they so desperately need it. Their their pitching is just littered with injuries right now. And as I said, they historically don't sell at the deadline. They right. uh, they never really have. Um, I don't know if they plan to this year. Maybe maybe things look more bleak. You know, we don't know when Schwarber's coming back. Strasburg's still unknown. The farm system does need some upgrades um though i do i do like their draft pick of brady house um but they they, you know they need some upgrades and so maybe it becomes like a little bit more pressing to sell and if it does become more pressing to sell then joe ross is going to play an even bigger role because they're going to you know if they trade max scherzer then they literally need a guy to go out there start every fifth day to give them at least a fighting chance at winning you know at least one out of every five games and ross can hopefully do that
1: yeah, I mean, I don't think they're trading Max until July 31st at the very latest. Like they, yeah. as you said, the Nats don't sell. They they stick with it and they want Max to be there. And if you're not going to trade Max, then
2: don't trade any. And what
1: are you doing? Just go for it. Like the, you don't have enough assets otherwise to really build up your farm system. They did kind of luck into this Brady House pick, which is great that he fell that far. He's a great looking prep shortstop who will be, you know, a big guy for their system that doesn't have anybody else like that. So you know he's one guy so we'll see what happens with the, with the class on the whole but uh ross is looking better and to your point to your earlier point i think he's had a couple of starts even where he's gotten burned by by hanging around too long because Davey just hasn't had anybody else to go to the, the bullpen's then been depleted at times and he've had they've had to just kind of write out write him out and he hasn't gone deep into games until now this last month he started to with is outings of six innings, eight innings, five, seven, and then six and a third. So he's those those are his June starts. So he started to build up some of that distance in games. And they're and they're gonna need it because the Nats don't have they're not one of these teams that have just tons of relievers laying around that they can just bring in and out. I mean, they've even lost a couple this past month, losing Justin Miller and TJ McFarland to the Cardinals like on the, on, through the waiver wire. And not that those guys are great, but I'm actually a pretty big TJ McFarland fan. I think that's a. It's too bad that they lost him. He's a, he's a guy who can get ground balls at the very least. But they don't have a ton of guys that they can run through. And that rotation, man, it is it is bleak. thin. I mean, John it's Lester bleak. has not been great. I'm not a real big believer in him. Paolo Espino has been a godsend. Like, who knew? Some you know,
2: Espino goes really out there, shockingly he, good. He goes out there, throws five innings, gives up three runs or less, and that's fine. Like right now, yeah. you take that. You take that every single time. Like he's been, as you said, a godsend because he just goes out there and does the same thing every single time. And th- that sort of consistency is like, okay, I know how to plan my week now. Of like, yeah. I know I'm going to get this out of Espino right now, so I can use these guys in these situations, and these guys I have to rest.
1: Yeah, I, I think you can you can tell, with the way Martinez plans out his week, that he knows that he's got to be careful on those days, that he's got to be ready to go to the pen early with Espino, and I think he's beginning to give Ross that extra leash where Ross has maybe been one of those guys that he's had to protect a bit in the past. And we'll see. I mean, I, I, I I don't think he's going to be hurt for very long. Like you said, I think this is just kind of a way to give him extra rest over the, over the Star break and to make sure that he's good to go. I mean, he hasn't had a full season in quite some time out of the rotation, but this is looking right now. I mean, he's, he's been worth exactly one F four so far, which puts him on pace just about to be to match his career high of 2.1. He's got a chance to at least. And, and I think he does. And we'll see. I mean, he's four oh two ERA right now, four five two FIP. He's he's still avoiding walks for the most part. Uh, yeah. What's his? It's you know seven point six percent walk rate, twenty four point seven percent strikeout rate is the best of his career right now. He looks really sharp, and I think his numbers, as I said, I think he's been hurt a little bit by uh, sticking games for, for too long at times, and, and he's had to wear a couple when he's had when he's had tough outings early on. But um, you know the BABIP is a little low, but not so far off all this career standards, So we'll see what happens there. I think, I think he can definitely be a guy for them in a vacuum. I would think that he was, he would be somebody that maybe they could trade because he's, a, he's 28 years old. He's only making one and a half million this year. He has one more year of, of arbitration after this season. So if they did, if they asked did decide to sell, he's a guy in a market where there aren't traded. a ton of say again.
2: He's a guy who could get traded. If they went like full sell, they were just like, you know what? Our farm system's not good. We're not competitive right now. We don't plan to be competitive at any time soon. He's a guy who, because he makes so little and the potential to be great is there, they could get a pretty good haul back for him.
1: I think they could, especially with that other year of team control. So you're not only getting for this year, you're getting for next year. He's a guy you can slide into the rotation. He's looking like a guy you can be, you know, for the first pretty time in a long time that we can say he's a rotation arm. He's going to be someone who can be in that three, three, four, five spots somewhere in there. And he'll give you, he'll give you innings, right?
2: Yeah, 100%. I agree with that.
1: Now, the question is, are they going to – I mean, the Nats entered the break having lost four in a row. They're now six games back. They're five games under 500. The Nats do not – they really don't like to sell. They really prefer to go for it. But this season, you know, they're five games under 500, but they're still just six back. They have two weeks here to really make a point of it. And I think given that Scherzer is is the big name and he's going to be a free agent and they really don't want to trade him – but they also don't want to let him languish on a non-competitive team. I think they, you know, the Nats, first and foremost, I think want him to be he, they want him to be their first hat in Cooperstown. Like that's their plan yeah. for him. And and for that to happen, they want to make sure that they're on good terms. And so they want to protect him a little bit. If they are totally out of it, then I think they would consider shipping him somewhere. I don't know how far out of it they'd have to be in this division, with you know, they're in fourth place right now but the the Braves are a game under 500. The the Phillies are at 500. The Phillies bullpen has been a disaster and they're the Phillies. They haven't yet proven that they can be anything but a 500 team. The Braves offense looks really kind of putrid right now without Acuna. And then you have the Mets who are still the Mets and haven't proven that they can do this yet. They're seven games over 500. They have the best pitcher in baseball, you know, maybe the best player in baseball in Jacob the ground The Lindor started to heat up. They're starting to get healthy. Do you think that the Nationals, two weeks from now, are, are still going to be within spitting distance of the Mets to, to stay in this thing?
2: I don't want to sound like this, uh, you know, I don't want to trash the people I work for or anything like that, but I don't. I, I, I think, as you <laughs> said, the, Met, the Mets are getting healthy, and that's really been the key is, like, all year. Their offense has been bad because they just haven't had consistent guys. I mean, they, they've been throwing out Billy McKinney, out there, yeah. Kevin Pillar has played way more than they anticipated, yeah. right? And like, no, no offense to those guys, but you know, when you have Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto and Dom Smith, and you're playing Billy McKinney and Kevin Pillar a lot,
1: right? Yeah, that's, it, that's it, not it, playing it, A, right? If you, yeah, it, it, things other, are not going well.
2: Press. Yeah, and the fact that they're still in first is like a good sign for them. um And I, I'm very confident that the Mets do make a trade and like they make a splash. You know, a lot of ties to Chris Bryant and that. Obviously, that makes the most sense. They are in so desperate need of a third baseman. Um, I've heard. Yeah. I heard Buster only said yesterday that the Mets are also interested in Trevor Story. That's a little weird. Um, I mean, it's not bad if you can convince him to play third base. Like that, yeah. that would be fine. Uh, I mean, that would be one heck of a defensive left side of the infield of Trevor Story and Francisco
1: Lindor. Um, but yeah, and you maybe don't have to give up a whole lot to get him. It's hard to know. No. I mean, we've 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 talked here. Tim and I, about Chris Bryant being just the perfect piece for them because they've had so many injuries. He protects them against another Conforto injury or Dom Smith or even, yeah. you know, he can play center field for a week if he has to. He really is kind of the perfect piece there. But I don't know that the Cubs are going to deal him. And it's so I do unclear. know the story you can get.
2: Yeah, Story is getting traded. Everyone knows that Story is gone. I mean, what was the... uh, I don't remember whose tweet it was yesterday, but there was a very funny tweet that was, somebody should uh, make sure that Story hits a ball that the powder reveals what color team he's going to. Uh, (laughs) And I thought that was funny. But yeah, I mean, everyone knows Story is gone. It's a much more guaranteed thing. The Cubs, I mean, they what, they lost 12 in a row or something like that. And I mean, they they were like a game or two back of the division, and then all of a sudden they were like way out of it after that losing streak. Um, and that kind of changed the ties. I know Jed Hoyer pretty much basically said, yeah, we're probably going to be selling. Um and, and, you know, and like that makes probably for them, you know, Ricketts doesn't seem that interested in spending money. And that's a conversation for another day. But, you know, if that's the case, then yes. Selling probably makes the most sense. Chris Bryant, I agree with you. For the Mets, he makes the most sense. I mean, he can just cover so many needs. They need a right handed power bat. He has that. He can play left field, right field. As you said, he, you can, th- I mean, it'll be rough, but you can throw him in center field and he'll suffice yeah. for a week. Nimmo is very clearly the better option there. Um, and at third base, you know, he's obviously, everybody knows he's very good at third base. Um, so, yeah, Bryant makes the most sense. But, you know, for the rest of the division, Atlanta just got, you know, pretty much what I would say is season ending news for them and yeah. Acuna's injury, which is the worst. I mean, it's, it's just awful that that happened. Uh, the play is rough. I mean, Acuna is so good for baseball. You always never want guys like that to get hurt, but I, I believe that was basically just, you know, a time to put the kibosh on the season. You know, I wonder if yeah. they can convince Charlie Morton to be open to a trade Um convince, Oh, I I hate to say this because I know how much he means to their franchise, but you know, you have to have some tough conversations about trading Freddie Freeman. Even, you know, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, you know, a left-handed power bat. I know he's the staple of that franchise, but based off interviews, you know, it seems like he's a little up in the air about his return to Atlanta. Um I doubt they do it, but I think you could have some conversations about it. Um, And then, as you said, with the Phillies, they're the Phillies, like their bullpen is atrocious. just, Just so bad. Um, The pitching staff, pitching staff's okay. Like Wheeler and Nola are good. I know Nola's ERA is crazy high, but I I think anyone can, any sort of knowledge of fan graph could tell you that's probably not going to last. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, beyond that, you know, Velasquez is okay. Uh, They, you know, they get innings out of other guys and find a way. They've been playing much better recently. I don't know how much it lasts. Their offense is relatively good. Um, but yeah, I mean, that bullpen is just atrocious. Joe Girardi doesn't know what to do with it. Granted, I don't really blame him. Like everyone, he seems to bring out every button he pushes just happens to be the wrong one, even if it was yep. the right decision. Uh, so like, it's hard for me to say like, oh, the Nats are definitely out of it. Cause the rest of the division is just so bad. But the problem is like you win the division or you don't make it because right. one of San, one of San, two of San Francisco, San Diego and Dodgers are the wildcard teams. Like that's just, a, that's just a done deal. They are so much better than every other team in every other division. Like, those are the best three teams in the National League, and they just happen to be playing in the same division. So you have to win the division to make the playoffs. And the Nats, you know, six games back really doesn't sound that bad, right? Like, it's like, oh, okay, that's actually pretty doable. But the the roster at full strength even, like, leaves a fair amount to be desired. Uh, especially in terms of offensive depth. I mean, when, no offense to Josh Harrison, he seems like a fine guy, but like when he's taking, you know, 600 plate appearances a year, <laughs> you know, that's probably not the best sign for your offense. Uh, you and know, what's great Del- about Josh,
1: uh, Josh Harrison is I, I've been, wholly against Josh Harrison as a concept, just didn't not yeah. understand he's how they could have him pretty good.
0: He's, That's the thing. he's pretty the,
1: good. Now it's like, now I'm like, yeah, okay. Josh Harrison's great compared to the rest of these guys <laughs> that got going out there. Like the, the Nets have always been terrible at depth, like losing <laughs> any of their big guys has always been a thing that would, has a potential to tank their season. And they're not quite there with Schwarber. I don't think Schwarber quite at that level. I'm I actually like Yadiel Hernandez. I think he can be okay there if he's getting regular at bats, but it's not enough and and the problem too as you mentioned with their farm system they don't have the means to go get much help I mean they're they can get some guys because teams are selling for it seems like pennies on the dollar now and they can they can get some some help at various places but not any different difference makers necessarily I mean they might be able to go find another Daniel Hudson type someone who's kind of undervalued on some team some middle reliever that they can you know bump up the bullpen hierarchy a little bit, but that doesn't do enough for this team. I don't think they need, you know, they would need Starlin Castro to go on one of his like two month runs. He does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he I don't hasn't know done it yet.
2: anymore.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I've never really, I've never been a Castro guy either, but you know, he went on that four month run with with the Marlins and it's like, yeah, he was great for those four months after being one of the worst players in baseball for two months. And we've gotten more of the, the, the bad side of him. So, but they're going to keep running him out there. They now are out of catchers, other catchers are hurt. Exactly. You know, I the,
2: mean <laughs> Keyboom, key I really liked key Boom as a prospect. He walked a lot and he hit the crap out of the ball. Two things that I really like. Like yeah. my offensive analysis when I write is very simple. Do you do you have good plate discipline? If not, not. Nah, probably not going to like you. Uh do you hit hard? If you don't, probably not going to like you. Keyboom does yeah. both of those things and the problem was when he came up, he was just it was clear he was battling injuries, also just battling the mental wear of this like just weird season and everything. And then since then he just really hasn't been the same. And it clearly affected him. And I know a, a team would probably still be very interested in his services, as they should be. Like the potential doesn't just go away randomly when you're right had as high a potential as he did. Um, but you know, they clearly just aren't comfortable. You know, he and he's been hurt again this year. And Luis Garcia I don't know what to make of him. The dude never walks, doesn't hit the ball up particularly hard, but he's got, like, very toolsy aspects. He swings. His stance is, like, identical to Juan Soto, but he plays nothing like him. Um, It's
1: such a trap. It's such a trap. It's it's just just like him. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's a little Soto. That's amazing. But then it's like, not not so, not so. So, Soto was walking at, like, 18%
2: clips when he was 19. So, you know, you...
1: Yeah, different guy, but but he's doing well in A this year, and so is Kibun. Both of them are hitting the ball well. So I mean, yeah, theoretically they, I mean, they got to come up at some point. Or I mean, what are you doing? Just keep them down there in AAA. And, yeah, I mean, at some point they got to come up and play for Castro. But I don't know. They they seem to be have more leash with Garcia. They haven't seemed to get even close to letting Kibun get a run at it. So no. we'll see what happens with them. I don't know if that's going to be, you know, if they do fall out of it. If that's something that, if those going to be guys that they go to. I do think that for the Nats in particular, it, it per usual, it lies in the starting pitching. And right now, I think they have like just enough because of Joe Ross, because Ross and Scherzer are doing their thing, and Espino's, Espino's giving five you
2: five and three
1: enough. and If Corbin steps two, you got a pretty decent looking rotation. Yeah, Lester. never believed in that signing. I don't know why they signed Lester. That seemed like a bad idea from the jump, but but you know. He'll give you a couple innings. If he's your fifth guy, you can probably survive him. But I don't know. They—that's
2: the thing—is
1: when Lester's your five, it's like okay, all
2: right, like that's fine. But I mean, the other day on Sunday, Eric Fetty gave up that three-run home run in like the first inning, and then nothing the rest of the way. Fetty's like—he's super confusing because he's a another guy, very high sinker usage, but he doesn't really. Throw it for strikes a bunch, um, and it's it's like why are you a sinker baller who can't throw a sinker? Like how yeah. how does that work? Um, and that's I mean that's that's kind of the confounding part was he was another guy very highly regarded prospect who just hasn't really panned out. Um, maybe you know in, in this new age maybe he finds it again. But yeah, I, well he's I, a
1: guy who he can run into it for a four or five start stretch where he can be pretty good i mean it's the consistency which is always what it comes down to when you're trying to get to that star level like yeah he can do it for sure but he's not likely to do it every time out
2: no he'll have he'll for every bad start he'll have a great start but then there's it's those mediocre starts where you want them to be closer to the good mediocre than the bad mediocre but they're usually the bad mediocre and again if fetty's your five who cares like all right he's fine as a five but that's the same thing you say about Espino. That's the same thing you say about Lester. And it's like you can't have <laughs> three guys in your rotation. Right. Where you're like, they're it's fine if they're the five. Well, at some point, one of those guys is the starting pitcher three, and that's not fine anymore. So that's right. that's the Nationals' problem. Is like Strasburg hasn't been healthy. Um, Corbin's just been bad, but he's been better recently. You know, maybe he finds it. Um, I'd have to dig in deeper into that. But like, he, you know, Corbin's just. You, you burned him out for that World Series run. You got your ring. And then they were extra cautious with him in spring training last year, like really worked him back slow, said he was probably going to start the season on the IL just to just to give him more rest. And it's still like even when he got the timeout and everything because of COVID, he still came back. And, I mean, he was thrown 88, 89. Now it's like, oh, yeah. God, dude. It's been, it's, it's one, it's year two of this contract. You cannot be losing two, three miles per hour on your fastballs all of a sudden, like that can't happen. And um and yeah, that's concerning. And it's, it stayed that way again this year. There's so many parts of the nationals where it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, if they start playing up to what they could do, then it's, this roster is great. And it's like, yeah, of course. Well, that's, you know, most teams in their position, if they play like they right. should, the team's great. But Corbin, I don't think you can, you know, realistically argue that the the team they have right now, because I'm not counting on Strasburg even coming back at this point. Like, no, just just I can't. Um, then, <laughs> yeah, I believe when I see it. Yeah. And Schwarber, who knows? I mean, hamstrings are very, very fickle things. It's 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 tough to say if it were me, I would sell. Um, I know it's tough to tell the fan base that you have to say goodbye to arguably one of the best free agent signings in baseball history in Scherzer, yeah. and you know, and Scherzer has full no trade clause and everything. But I, I, I know, like, if they were, if they're still six games under 500 by July 28th, I'm sure Scherzer's going to go up to him and go, "Can you trade me?" Um, and like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he just really likes it in DC and he just wants to ride it out there and spend the rest of his career there. And you know, there's some, you know, Scott Boris said a couple of weeks ago that if Serger gets traded, he wants to sign an extension there and that's just Scott yeah. Boris doing his job. I don't actually believe that. Um, but you know, that, you know, some teams that might scare them off, um, you know, and again, he's still owed you know a lot of money on his contract with the deferments and everything. Right. Uh, you know, that would become a fickle thing in negotiations who takes the deferments for this year and who doesn't, you know, how much do we pay and everything like that. Um, so that, that becomes tough. Um, you know, all that. With all that said, if it were me, I would sell. I don't think the Nationals will, because that's just not who they are. That's not what uh, Ted Lerner believes in. Uh, that's not what you know Mike Rizzo has shown to do. But if it were me, that's what I would do. Um, is it tough to say that? Sure, because like you know, I had I had decent expectations. I thought they were a borderline playoff team, and at times they've played like it. You know, before the Schwarber injury, they were playing like a team that was a borderline playoff team, like a team that yeah. was going to be in the hunt, going to be in the thick of it. And then the Schwarber injury, you know, the offense was still good after Schwarber got hurt, but the pitching staff, you know, how often are you going to get a Max Scherzer blow up? Yeah, sure. They probably should have swept the Padres. They had every opportunity to, and then they just didn't. And you know, like that hurts a lot, uh, but yeah, getting swept by the giants didn't help either. I was at that game on Saturday where Lester pitched. that was, just brutal. I mean, I felt bad. Not for He was like, he says pregame, like, boy, I really need five or six out of Leicester today. He gets two, in, <laughs> gets two plus out of Leicester. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, poor
1: guy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's always a recipe for a disaster whenever the, whenever the Nats go into a game where they're like, we really need a long outing here. It almost never seems to work, but... I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I mean, I, I don't think they are going to sell. And I do think they probably are, would be better off. The thing about them selling is if they move in with just a couple of pieces, like it has the potential to get very bleak. Because if yeah. they move Scherzer, like they don't have these other guys, they don't have even these like quad A starters. Like they're they, they are very, 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 very shallow. So if they end up moving a Scherzer, if they do, and if, if they move Ross too, even like then, it's it, you might bad. see a very, very difficult last couple of months. And I don't know that they want to put. Soto through that or or Turner. And I, I, I think that's yeah another that's thing other that you're going to be is, thinking about
2: is they're still trying to convince Soto. Uh, he, he won't. I, he's not going to sign an extension because he's a Scott no. Boris guy. And those guys don't sign extension. Yeah, he won't. Like, that's just he, he won't do it. But for Turner, they've been clearly in, in heavy negotiations for an extension for about a year or two now. Like, they're yeah. trying very hard to accept. As they should, because he's very good. <laughs>
1: I mean, he's so good. He's and got. I think they got to wait and see. They're going to end up having to wait and see what the market, what happens this summer with all these free agents. I mean, we know Lindor's kind of set the price, but we're going to see what happens with Story and Baez. And there are a lot of really good shortstops. And Turner's actually at the top of that list. He's yeah, he's, he's he's a board very, very top, good. So,
2: top three, top four shortstop right now. Like, he's just been that good. You know. for, since 2020, he is like, fourth in all of baseball in Fangraphs war and like sixth in baseball
1: reference war. He's just really good. Yeah. Like, so it's this, just that, that he's healthy is, and he's healthy now for the first time. Like he's, yeah. he's been healthy for the, for a consistent stretch and that makes all the difference with him.
2: This is now. This I do think. The, go go ahead. ahead. I was just gonna
1: say, this is the player
2: they always thought they were going to get out of yeah. Uh, when they uh, traded for him. Uh, so it yeah this this is not a surprise but it just with all the short steps, as you just said his asking price in this offseason if they're trying to sign an extension is going to be hefty and it should be like cuz he knows he's worth it and with all these other shortstops i mean that's only going to help him you know if if Correa gets a good deal if Seager gets a good deal he can just go i've been just as good if not better than those guys like yeah. you got to pay me what they're getting if not more and yeah I, you know the Nationals they don't do contracts that big without deferments and you know that's ultimately like that had a huge influence on why Harper left ultimately that's why they couldn't resign both Strasburg and Rendon um you know like those deferments are that's just the way they do things uh it might make it easier it might make it more difficult but you know Turner you know if I don't know who his age is but uh yeah I mean that's if his agent's like, no, don't take deferments, then it's it's going to be tough. You know, The, the, the extension's most likely yeah. never going to happen. But uh, that's another part of it. It's like if you sell, then what are you telling Trey Turner and Juan Soto? Sorry, we don't think this team is good enough that you're a part of. Or that right. they might take that the wrong way. And you, you don't want that either. And so there's so many different parts of this yeah. that I think fans don't necessarily see. And, and like, yeah, it's, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, they should sell because that's the future of the team. But like, they're the people who actually have to if they do sell, go tell Trey Turner, hey, the best teammate you've ever had is gone. Uh, right. One of the best pitchers in baseball history is gone. Uh, oh, yeah, the guy we picked up in the offseason who hit 16 home runs in three weeks, we traded him too. And it's, it's yeah. like... But you, by next
0: year,
1: it's going to be fine. Don't worry, buddy. Next year or yeah. your last year before free agency we're, we're going to figure it out. And yeah. I don't know that they can sell that to him.
2: That that would be a tough sell. That would be a hard sell. And I, I get that aspect too. And that, that adds into like all the decisions and like... At that point, I would I would still say Sal, but I'd also just be like, you have to be very good at convincing Trey Turner that this yeah. is still a play. The other
1: thing play. I'll say is that if they have a bad couple of weeks here, the writing will be pretty much on the wall. I could see them actually selling some pieces just because of their schedule. They've got the Padres for three, then the Marlins for three, the Orioles for three, the Phillies for four, and the Cubs for two, and that gets into the deadline. That's a very soft schedule. that You can win some games there. If they don't, after playing that slate, then you might have to really take a hard look at the team and say okay if we couldn't beat these guys i don't see how we're going to make up that space that that the gap in the division in, over the next two months so that said you know it if you can very still... easily see them game, making up a game or two and then you know they're four games back after playing a pretty soft couple of weeks and they're able to, they sell themselves the story that they're they're still in this thing but we'll just have to wait if, and see what happens there
2: i would say if they played 500 ball as in like the record over the next by the time they get to the series is 500 I would sell because if you can't have a winning record to get in that stretch Padres yeah okay that that, that's a little tough because they're a good team but beyond that I mean they should be winning most of those series and if they aren't then like that's probably a sign that they should sell because the roster is just not there again as we've said historically just not sellers it's not something they do they try to put a quality team on the field every single year and that's their mindset you know I I can vouch that's their mindset they like they say, if they're not with, you're not in it to win it, then what are you doing here? And I like that. I appreciate the fact that yeah. the, the owner wants to spend money. I appreciate the fact that the offense the front office is always like, let's try to win. But I think also at the same time, like you have to be real with yourself and say, well, we haven't really developed a ton of talent, um, you know, the last year or two, you know, our prospects are not necessarily getting better. You know, the low end of the farm system is pretty rough Um you know, they yeah. and as you said, they don't have any, you know, quad A guys to just come up and like eat innings or take at bats or anything like that. Like those guys aren't really much better either. So you no, know, it, it's 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 just a tough situation. Um, it's been a tough year for Nationals fans, I'm sure. Uh I know it's been frustrating to watch at times for me. I'm sure it's been frustrating to watch times for other fans. And it it all comes back to like I don't know what the right answer is. I know what I would do. It's tough. Uh, I hope Jill Ross stays. I, I, as we said, he's actually a pretty valuable trade piece, and like yeah. it wouldn't shock me too much if he got traded. But I hope he stays because I think he's a guy who, you know, isn't going to be owed a ton of money. Is a guy you could want you could sign for a pretty nice contract to keep him there. Uh, there are so many different options the Nats could take, and it's legitimately actually fascinating to see what they do. But also at the same time, very frustrating that we've gotten to this point. <laughs>
1: That's for sure. So we'll, we'll see what happens with them. What we know for sure, I think, is that if they are still in it two weeks from now, Joe Ross will be a big reason why. Yes.
2: Joe Ross is going to be a key for them in the second half. Uh,
1: this week in baseball, there have been a couple other things uh, that I just want to touch on real quick that we can just go through and get your thoughts on these things. We talked a little bit before we, we came on air about the Home Run Derby. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? I did.
2: I had a lot of fun. I uh, As I told you before, we started recording. Uh, it was my girlfriend and I's first Home Run Derby together. So she got to experience her first Home Run Derby. And she said it was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, Pete Alonso hitting 35 home runs in the first round probably was a sign that like it was his to lose. Yeah. Uh, and he clearly takes it like super seriously. But uh, what a performance from Trey Mancini. Really great. Twenty two home runs in the last round. That's not that's nothing to sneeze yeah. at. Like he made it difficult for Alonzo there at the end. Like that was that was that was really impressive. Um, and the Soto versus Otani thing. I mean, that was I mean, that's great. Great for baseball right there to have. You know, arguably the most fascinating player in any sport right now, going up against one of the young faces and phenoms of the game uh, in what was just a really, really fun show. Uh, you know, the most <laughs> I felt really bad for Salvador Perez because he had 27 hom- yeah. home runs in the first Man. round and he lost. And I was just like, it's funny because I was the guy who I said, ah, Perez is probably going to be like, the weakest option here right he's got to go against pete so he's gonna lose but like damn what is he gonna do what does he do he has the second most home runs in the first round makes me eat my words and i was like good for you salvi (laughs) like you you put up a great show but it just went nowhere that was a lot of fun and he still just never uh, had a
1: chance 27 home runs and just never for a second did anyone think he had a chance just yeah really too bad but
2: as as soon as he started i remember literally thinking well i might as well start cooking now like he's not gonna win
1: (laughs) yeah I, i got
2: time for these four minutes because he's, he's not going to beat the 35 but he put on like a really he dropped some bombs too like he hits he hit some tanks he did and uh it, being in colorado also made it so much more fun because the balls just were flying flying i mean otani hitting some third deckers soto hitting some third deckers alonzo hitting balls to almost the scoreboard yeah and i mean matt Olson dropped a few that went
1: far i mean it was just yeah. it was fun they hit uh, some bombs but and they I, did it was, I was, it was, I was a really never, good home run derby i was never a home run derby guy but yeah you know, the head to head stuff works you, you got some extra drama in there it, it, it really has been a pretty good event the last couple of times out so I, i'm i'm on board now i think it's i think i'm yeah. looking forward to it next the, year now they
2: did the head to head starting in what 2016 or 2017 i can't uh, remember
1: no, somewhere right around there
2: yeah and ever since then it's actually been like legitimate the judge year the 2017 year obviously judge being in it like made yeah. it And you know, Stanton was in it too. It's like you had like a lot of reason to watch. And then 2018, I mean, Harper
1: was you know, super fun to watch. Yeah, that that was a cool one. Harper Um, in Washington. That was that was definitely a good one. But um yeah. All-
2: and then, you know, Pete Alonso versus Vlad Jr., and then Vlad Jr. versus Peterson. Yeah. The, whole, the Derby's just been yeah. actually legitimately really fun the last two years. I think people are like, well, it sucks for Salvador Perez that he lost after hitting 20. I'm like, yeah, it does. But like the head to head aspect, as you said, it creates like anxiety, yeah. even. Like it creates like you start to get a vested interest because you're rooting for the guys and everything. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, th- I like the head to head. I think that is what makes it so much fun.
1: For sure. Uh, there was another event, a big event in baseball this week that does not get quite as much TV attention or excitement. There was the MLB draft, which is, for a lot of people, a big deal. But in baseball, not quite as much of a must-see event because it takes so long for the prospects to actually make it to the majors. Did you pay attention to the draft?
2: I did. I I, I didn't watch it I was because I was uh, busy doing other stuff. So I just had my you know phone with the Twitter feed up, just constantly scrolling. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were shocked by Davis going number one. You know, that's the easiest point to start. He's the first pick. Yeah. Uh it doesn't sh- surprise me too much. Um, he is a relatively safe pick, and the pirates are very desperate for some catchers. Uh, you know, they have had a very bad history of yeah. developing catchers, and you know, Davis he can hit. Um some people were like, "Well, who's a better prospect, Rushman or Davis?" And it's it's very clearly Adley is yeah. a much better oh, prospect. Yeah. You know, I don't th- I don't think it's even close. But like Davis is for a team that is bad at developing catchers, it makes a lot of sense to go and get a catcher who's got a relatively good floor. It's probably somebody who you can rely on to be in the big leagues in like the next two and a half ish years, right? So that I I thought the pick was smart. Um, Lighter went too. That made sense. I mean. Every, every, yeah, I wish if it were me, I would have picked Lighter. One, I think he's got the highest ceiling out of anybody in the draft. To, to be honest, I mean he's just so polished already, and just as he gets stronger and smarter about you know himself and everything, then and it's not like I mean the biggest difference between him and Kumar Rocker's Rocker had a lot of injury concerns of the way he throws and his mechanics, and he throws a lot of sliders and stuff. And that, you know, gave a lot of people some worries, obviously, as he fell to 10, which was a major surprise. I, you know, I had him pretty much locked in at seven to Kansas city. I thought that made a lot of sense, uh, but they decided to go way under slot. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't evaluated the rest of their draft yet to figure out if that was actually worth it, but right. I they thought that was good an interesting that. I mean, decision.
1: That is the thing about the, yeah. There are all these, always these slot decisions that we see in the top 10 picks and it's hard to totally evaluate it's what you do ways, with the so, rest. You know, we'll see.
2: Rocker with the Mets makes sense though. That was a really good pickup for the Mets. Yeah. Uh I, I liked that pick a lot. Um, then I liked House with the Nationals, and we spent a lot of time, but yeah, pretty house was a really good pick. His I mean, coming into the draft a few months ago, that guy was slated to go one or two. Like he was really high up yeah, there on the board. He was. He's got a very good uh very good ceiling. His offensive potential is very high. Um, and you know, he's probably not a shortstop in the future. Uh, probably going to get moved over to third base and that's fine uh, because he, I, I think he could be really amazing defensively at third base, not necessarily like a Matt Chapman, Nolan, Aaron, Alex, Brian Hayes, good defensively, but like, you know, a guy who's going to be in contention for some gold gloves defensively, you know, I house can do that. Uh, another pick I really liked in the first round was Matt McLean of the Reds. I really, really liked that pick. Uh, McLean is a guy who has a really good uh, floor for a hitter could rise quickly through the ranks because a reds need infielders now, and they're going to need infielders in the future. Yeah. Um, And he's got such a polished floor um, and approach that he could rise fairly fast. I really liked that pick. And then I think uh, in all honesty, the best pick in the draft was Cleveland taking Gavin Williams with the 25th pick. That was just how did the rest of baseball just allow <laughs> Cleveland the pitching factory that has produced how many great arms in the last few years to just take Gavin Williams, who is a stud, like how did nobody think maybe we should stop them from doing that? But uh, that was a, just a brilliant pick. I mean, really, you couldn't have nailed it any better than that. I know the most controversial pick, in the first round was either Trey Sweeney to the Yankees. And they, the numbers really like Trey Sweeney because he hits the ball really hard. Um, there are some concerns about what he can do against velocity. And there's some concerns about how he can move around at shortstop. He's not a shortstop long-term. I think uh, most people will tell you that. Um, but, and then the, uh, the Phillies pick isn't, wasn't, great especially with uh what's his name uh the marlins picked him up watson available i, I thought yeah. that was the move to make to be honest um, so that's another one marlins did great there in the first round like yeah, that was a really really good pick um i like watson i think he's going to be quite good and fits the what the marlins need uh and the Marlins have a very clear element when they draft. They look for guys who have very athletic profiles. That's generally speaking what they've done in the past and didn't change any different under Kim Ang. Um, you know, and the Marlins are a sneaky, fun team. So I, I like that pick. Um, and then, you know, Detroit uh, did pretty well with picking time, a uh, man who fell really far. Yeah. I mean, it's a little concerning how far he fell. That was shocking. Um, but he, uh, good for Detroit. I mean, at that point, it just became like you, you can't keep saying no, right? Um, so I, I, there, I thought there weren't a lot of picks that made me scratch my head. The, the Phillies one did a little bit, and then the Yankee one, I I knew that they're very you know number driven, yeah, uh, in almost everything they do. So it wasn't that shocking. I know just a lot of people are very polarized on Trey Swinney, but pretty much every pick, I was like, eh, that makes sense. That's a good pick. Sure. I was, and then the, as the days went on, I just was like, "Yeah, all right." You know, the angels are hysterical. They, what what a job oh, for man. them! They didn't pick a single position player. Who needs
1: them? Who needs them? And not them.
2: <laughs> I mean, honestly, they don't like their farm system is pretty you know heavy with outfielders and uh, other position players. Yeah, they just don't have like a lot of good pitching prospects. And the thing is, like, all a, college arms the, too, or what? Nineteen on twenty college arms are above 500 by the way yeah so like they they went for guys who hypothetically if things go well and they need to make a playoff push they could call one or two of those guys up to like help them make their playoff push uh i know bachman profiles pretty heavily as a reliever and a lot of people were like are you sure taking that but i actually like him that he could figure it out as a starter but even then like if they're in the middle of a playoff push and that's a team that needs to get to the playoffs for the love of all in baseball that is a team that needs to get there he could come up and add some really good benefit you know iglesias has really figured it out recently out of the bullpen so that's good but you need a way to get to him you know if you get to him game's over you know that's what they always talk about in the postseason is like when you're facing teams with good clothes you keep that guy off man because if you get to them the game's over right you know when you're facing the old yankees you never wanted to see Mariano Rivera. when he came on the mound game's over Uh, When you know, Brewers are in the postseason, don't get to Josh Hader because as soon as you get to Josh Hader, game's probably over. Uh, you know, Kenley Jansen for a few years, Craig Kimbrell seems to be doing that again. Um, so those are all these guys, right? And you need a way to get to Iglesias. And if they make a playoff push, and you remember, they're doing all this stuff without Trout, and he's still supposed to come back relatively soon after the all star break, is what they hope. If they make a push, and they should once they get Trout back and other guys get back, you know, assuming, you know, Jared Walsh is continuing to hit like he has been and everything. He's a guy who could come up. Like, he's a, you know, he's yeah. a guy who could come up and make an immediate impact. So I kind of like the pick. Uh, you know, I, I like them going for all pitching though because they've yeah. just been abysmal at it. You know, so their thought process is like, one of these has to hit. Two of these have to hit, right? And I, I like that. You know, you can... You can trade for position players. They've been willing to sign position players. We've seen that in their history. So I like really, you know, go for pitching, try and develop pitching, try and change how you develop pitching. So I, I like what they did.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been screaming at the Angels for years just to sign some freaking pitchers. I mean, they, they just need, some pitchers. They need pitchers. So, and, and they do have the potential to go on a run here. If Trout comes back and he's healthy and Rendon has not been himself yet, if he comes back and he's healthy, if they can keep Otani he- healthy. I mean, these guys all together – that's a pretty good-looking team if their, they have a roster, pitching.
2: you look at it – you look at their roster and you're like, man, they should be good. Yeah. And they have been relatively pretty good. Um, you know, Andrew Heaney is given me nightmares. I've been so high on him for years. I feel like a lot of fantasy baseball players are yeah. always like, one of these years, Andrew, Andrew Heaney is actually going to put it together. And he never does, and it's so frustrating because he's, he's, he's got it. It's there. He can do it, but, you know – Griffin Canning's been disappointing. Dylan Bundy's been hurt, but he just refuses to come out. Yeah. And he's been um, a disaster then. Yeah, they've so, they've
1: got to figure something out. And we'll see if they can they need make a move or something. But they yeah, at pitchers. least they got some in the in the minors now and we'll see how quickly these guys can rise and and yep. you know, give I them help. So they need to go, they need to get to the playoffs, man. Yeah. It, baseball needs them there. That would be great. We do need them there. Um in terms of injuries this week, we talked about a couple of angels guys coming back. Of course, the big one we touched on, Acuna, is out for the year, which is just a disaster. Ian Anderson also was being looked at. We'll see what happens with him long-term. Uh, Ryan Weathers of the Padres is out for a couple of weeks but with a right foot injury, but it looks like that's not going to be that big of a deal. Same with you, Darvish on the IL. Left hip inflammation is what they're calling it. But, again, this seems like – a with the all-star break, it's hard to tell what's real and what's not because everyone's just kind of using that as extra time to get guys rest and bring up other guys for a couple of days. So – We'll see what happens. Alec Bohm has COVID. Does does that worry you? There's now a couple of guys on the on the that COVID list, but <laughs> Bohm's the one who, I mean, if that's significant, that's significant. So well, I mean, that could be a real thing for him.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, with do, my concern is with the Phillies is reading uh what's what's his name? Matt Gelb's athletic article about the Phillies and the COVID outbreak. That was a very painful article to read. Uh. It did not did not give me a lot of good feelings about. <laughs> Really, anything in life, really, (laughs) to to see what they had to, what the Phillies players had to say about COVID and the vaccine and everything, It was really depressing. Um, yeah, I mean that's concerning. Like, uh, Boehm's just been bad. Yeah, this year. I mean, just unexplainably bad. Like, it's it's so it's so bad that you're just kind of throw your hands up. Go, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what's gone into it. Um, as with most most things
1: Phillies, that's kind of trademark Phillies. So he's. he's (laughs) Very much one of the gang there. <laughs> yes.
2: um, which is, I remember the, what was it? 13 straight home runs for Bryce Harper were solo home runs, right? <laughs> like what a, what, what are the odds he's have a he's having a great year. And it's just, it's just such a reflection of that franchise that they're getting another great year out of, you know, one of the best players in baseball and they're doing nothing with it. Um yeah, I mean, it's concerning that he has COVID. It's concerning that the Phillies haven't met the 85% mark. Um, you know, that, that means, like, are the problems yeah. going to linger? Is Boehm, you know, he's already had a bad year. Is it about to get even worse? Should they just send him down for the rest of the year at this point? You know, I, I think that's a legitimate question. Um, with Weathers and the Padres, I think the all the pitching injuries, regardless of if Darvish is healthy or not, I think that has put them in the conversation for they're going to be looking for starting pitching at the deadline, uh, which is crazy if you told me that
1: that season, that they would still be looking for
2: starting also tell me that they're like relatively close to first place. I'd be like, how? Um, So there's that going for him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to make of the Philly situation other than just like, it's just sad. It's like, that's, that's all I gotta
1: say. It's just sad. (laughs) That it is. Tim Tim Jackson will be glad to hear that from you because we talk about the Phillies a lot. He's a big Phillies fan and it always just makes him sad. So we try to steer clear of the Phillies <laughs> as much as we Fair can. Enough. But uh, so I'm glad we had you here to talk about talk about Alec Boehm's situation instead of Tim. Uh, Max, thanks so much for coming on. This has been really great. It's been really great to get your insight on Joe Ross and the Nationals. Uh, where can our listeners find you this week? You're on, you're on Twitter, I presume. You have other writing coming out. Where can we yes, find you? Yes, I am on
2: Twitter. You can find me at GreenfieldMax18 on Twitter. Uh, the What I got coming out this week is uh, I, the statistic that I developed, uh, which is a war statistic based around uh, KWERA, which is just strike out some walks in ERA form, and then ground ball KWA, which is strike out some walks in ground balls, uh, is having its mid-season update. I'll be writing about some guys you want to keep an eye on that might be getting better. Uh, Some guys that we might want to be a little bit worried about because they might be falling off and then just some general fun stats about it. Uh, You know, just some more fantasy analysis of like what I always do, like here's some guys to pay attention to here's some guys who's not, I really like writing about pitching, so I will be probably just writing about pitchers throughout the rest of the year. So if you're following me, you're just going to see a lot of pitching stuff.
1: Good deal. Well, we will follow you. We will keep an eye out for that. You can find me on Twitter at TC tczanka. Uh, you can find my work at MLB Trade Rumors. I'll be writing there again this Saturday. Uh, keep an eye out for Tim at Tim Jackson Says, and you can follow the Breaking Pod at Breaking Pod PL. Uh, do us a favor. Send us a comment. Say hello. Uh, you know, rate us five stars. Raise four stars if you want it. You know, that's fine. Just come say hello. Leave us a comment. Talk to us on Twitter. And uh, thanks for hanging out.